Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Anti-Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Anti-Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AntiUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Anti-Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's December 13th, 2019. You're listening to the best poker cast on the internet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Uh, it's a good thing we have the World Series of Poker, isn't it? <laughs> that and award shows. And award shows. Going, they right? just keep us going uh, 15 years strong, I think it is now. Um, but uh, it's interesting because I usually the opener of the series is like the casino employee one, isn't it? And now they're... They're changing it with a different five hundred dollar event. Well, it says first bracelet. Um, the casino employees is technically it's a bracelet event, but it's not an open bracelet event. So yeah, yeah. they they may have left themselves a little wiggle room there to do that differently. But yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe uh, the casino employees event will be second, or maybe it'll be moved somewhere else. So I don't know. We'll see. Interesting. But yes, uh, the first of what will probably be 190 um, <laughs> items on the show about the World Series of Poker as they drib and drab the information out to us. Uh, kicks off today as the World Series of Poker has set the dates for the 51st Series uh, starting May 26th, running all the way through July 15th at the Rio in Las Vegas. Don't believe all those rumors, folks. It's still going to be the Rio. <laughs> Uh, first event is, uh, as my good friend just said, will be the $500 buy-in Big 50 event with 50,000 in starting chips, 50-minute uh, levels, and three starting flights. And the always popular Senior Championship will be on June 18th. The main event will have flights on July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, with the ESPN final table running July 12th through the 14th. The entire schedule is expected to be released early next year. In dribs and drabs. Yeah, I was just going to make a comment on the dribs and drabs. It's like we sit here and we make fun of it, and then we end up falling for it every time. It's- you know, hey, I, 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 we have fully admitted on this show that they, they are marketing geniuses, yeah, and yeah. we are uh, putty in their hands. So uh, hats off to them as I do the little hat off. But they didn't say how many events, right? Uh, no, they did not yet. So, yeah, they, of course, so. that'll be at the next drib. Yeah, it'll okay. be the next drib will be the record-setting 85 events or something. You know? <laughs> but it's interesting. It's still at the Rio, and they're gonna. It was something like a three-year deal or something where they're gonna keep doing it there for a while and in perpetuity, probably. But yeah, uh, it's got depends on the on the agreement with the uh, the new owners. But uh, but I would imagine it will be there uh, quite a while until. Um, Caesars finds a place that they think is better for it, which may or may not exist. They just have so much space at the Rio. It's unbelievable how big that place is. 
Yeah, well, I mean, the parking is so much easier there. And for folks that um, – and a lot of people, when they go out to Vegas for this, they don't go out just for the series, right? They go out for all the other tournaments going on and cash games everywhere else and everything else yeah. Vegas has to offer. And, you know, not everybody likes to Uber. So, you know, if you have a car, it's an easy uh, uh, park uh, parking lot right there to get in and out, unlike anything on the Strip where everything is um, brutal <laughs> in terms yeah. of parking. Yeah. Um, and expensive, too. Right. So um, – uh, but that being said, I, I would imagine that uh, if you are not a driver um, or don't drive in Vegas, uh, you would probably love to see this move to Caesars or somewhere on the Strip where you can easily walk to it and walk around and not have to uh, find right. your way there every day. So, right, right. But, but yeah, but you're right. The the space inside is just massive. So you need to be able to rec- uh, recreate that somewhere else as well, too. And um, not sure. I'm not sure whether Caesars or any of the other properties have that much space. So, you know, the thing about this is it's it, it, to me, it feels like all the years that we've been there, it feels like it's the perfect location for the size the World Series has become and all right. the things they do. And it feels like they've just set themselves up to be blackmailed like so easily by the company <laughs> that owns the Rio. Because I don't know. I mean, I guess Caesars could hold it. I, I don't know how much space they have there, but this place. It's just so large. It's hard to imagine another place doing it as well as the Rio as far as accompanying all these people, all these rooms, all these side events. It's just remarkable. Yeah. 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 Good luck with that. Yeah. Good luck with finding the place as big as that and as easily, you know, navigatable or whatever. It's just remarkable. Well, I'm sure we'll be back in a couple of weeks with uh, more dribs and traps. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, all right, high stakes Danish uh, poker pro Peter Jepsen has been found guilty of cheating online by working with accomplices to install malware on his opponent's computers that allowed him to see their whole cards. Jepsen was sentenced to uh, more than two years in jail, fined 3.5 million pounds, and also had 3.9 million dollars confiscated, which is about what Jepsen is believed to have taken from his opponents. And he has, of course, appealed the verdict. Oh, that's what we need just in time for the holidays. Another cheating scandal. Well, uh, in Jepsen's defense, people knew about this scandal before. It's just now it's the verdict. So it's not really new. It's just the. No, we just need to learn about it again. Freshly you know? in the yeah. uh, news. Get yeah. it back up into our. Uh... So uh, I've always wondered this. Isn't, you know, you're the news guy. I was the sports guy when we worked at the Times. But isn't there a difference between jail and prison? Like, if prison's for like for, like, felonies right and jail yeah, is for like and to be honest uh jail is the word i picked because i i wasn't clear whether it was prison or not yeah. so the lesser of the two so, i was yeah, curious right. i was wondering well, i was wondering if they thought it was a lesser of a crime yeah, because jail's more short-term incarceration yeah. is uh you know where you go if you steal the fractions of cents on office space so <laughs> uh but I, I would imagine it is probably prison if it's two and a half years that's that's yeah. a long not, not the sidetrack from the story. I was just yeah, curious. Yeah. I was wondering if they thought maybe it was a lesser crime or something because of what he did. Or, um, but yeah, it's just we just every time it's like well, well, he said on the show a couple weeks ago, or God, Godfather Three, or every time they get out, they pull us back into another. You know, it's just just when you thought, okay, we're gonna get over this this one in California, and now here's one in you know, I don't know Denmark. It, it's just it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. We can't seem to escape this crap. You know. Unbelievable. Yeah, the other thing that was interesting in the reporting, and, and uh, maybe the reporting wasn't correct, but it, uh, his fine was in pounds, but the confiscation was in dollars. <laughs> Not that there's a terrible difference at this point right now, but uh, there have been times when that's made a big deal. So uh, I'm curious how to 
Well, I guess because it was online, maybe online deals in dollars, but his personal account was pounds, uh, and that's why it's 3.5 versus 3.9. I don't know. Interesting question. Well, I'll tell you, and I hate to say this as a, um, uh, as a poker industry professional that makes our money off of advertising on this and and is uh, constantly looking for online poker to come back. Uh, just another reminder how easy it is to corrupt the system, right? Um, now, this is a little bit different. You know, because of malware on individual computers, and you're not going to go to that level of um, uh, criminal activity for the random uh, $5 sit-and-go guy across the street, right? right. But, uh, but the fact that it can be done is is scary, I think. And uh, as we've talked about before, I mean, one of the things that online companies, wherever they are right now, have to keep doing is keep being vigilant on on finding ways to detect this and stop it as quickly as possible. Um but uh, nothing's foolproof, unfortunately. Right. So. Um, well. The other thing, too, is how crazy is that, that somehow he gets the malware installed on the people who are playing poker against him online? Like, how do you, how do you even know who's online? I mean, I guess in some, if you're playing the really big well, stakes, you know, the so yeah, but then only, how do you find their ISP to get to their and then make sure no, that that's the specific? ISP is their actual computer. So yeah, I mean, how does that happen? I think you know, obviously they hang out and play live together and stuff as well. Or I would assume that's what it is, or or somewhat hang out. I would assume they were friends until <laughs> this happened. <laughs> Probably not getting a Christmas card at the Jepson residence this year, but um, and as they said, it had accomplices too. But um, you know. Thing, man, you gotta protect your computer too. <laughs> yeah, I mean this this is like like this is like uh, the blacklist stuff. You know, like you ever watch that show, The Blacklist, where they just like they defy you know actual things that can happen in the world, but they they have like these little thumb drives that they'll they'll like show up at some criminal's house and pretend to be a criminal themselves, you know, and they'll take a thumb drive and hook it up to the laptop for like thirty seconds, and then it installs something so that now back at the FBI headquarters they can watch the guy's computer. This is probably similarly to what happened. If that's for them to have the malware on very specific opponents' computers, somebody would have to like literally have the computer in their hands and install it. You know, because yeah. you can't just you can't just assume that this person's going to navigate on the internet to the place you want and then get the malware, you know, installed in their well, computer. Yeah, I you know we got a lot of computer geeks, uh, and I use that term with affection, not uh, condescension. Right. <laughs> Listen to the show that could probably explain to us how this could be done in multiple different ways. So uh, I, I did not delve that deeply into the article to see um, if there was a process. Definitely there. some you know thriller movie kind of kind of stuff going on here. If that's what happened, that's pretty crazy. It's a computer world we live in now. No, humans, <laughs> humans have lost control. Bring back the analog days, please. Of course, we wouldn't be doing the show anymore either. We'd have to uh, pass out demo tapes to people of our show if we <laughs> we couldn't do that. So I'm grateful for the computer age. Believe me. Oh man! All right. Well, more sad news. Uh, Mike Ganey, a staple of the poker room management in Reno, uh, who was responsible for bringing the first World Poker Tour event to the city, has died after a long illness. Uh, Ganey managed the Atlantis, the Pepper Mill, and the Reno Hilton in his long career, which also included managing Seneca Niagara in New York where he was a mentor to many of our initial anti-up poker cruises uh, staff. Yeah, uh, you, you, and you've, you've, you've hung out. Didn't you hang out with him a couple times? Or, yeah, yeah, you know? I've had a lot of good conversations. I, I shouldn't say a lot, but uh, enough good conversations that I was certainly um, saddened by uh, this news. Uh, and they were all good conversations, too. You know, I, 
obviously I spent a lot of time traveling around talking to poker managers and, um, you know, both trying to get business, but also trying to understand the industry well. So, and, uh, he was one obviously that's been around, had been around a long time and had a lot of, um, intelligence to share with me um about uh how poker rooms should be run how they've been run in the past and how they changed and uh, per, uh particularly in that reno market you know i think the first time we met him he was managing um the pepper mill, pepper mill right then uh, in vegas i met him in vegas yeah and then when i went back uh he, he had left the pepper mill and had uh had taken over the atlantis and and that conversation was super interesting to me because now now you're competing with the room that used to run and I had never realized at that time that he had worked at the uh, Reno Hilton, which I believe is now the Grand Sierra um, in the past, too. So, you know, it's interesting when you leave one room and and, uh, and go to a different room, uh, literally right down the street, and uh, had to compete. So uh, I definitely remember those conversations pretty well. But I also remember, you know, um, um, uh, all the folks that worked for him in Seneca, Niagara. And like I said, those are all the folks that helped us get any uh, poker crews off the ground initially. That's right. Uh, so they all learned uh, everything they knew from him as well too, and I know um, they're they're certainly broken up about this, but uh, but I had a lot of conversations with them over the years about uh, Mike Ganey and, and what they learned from him, um, and uh, and they had that one tournament in um, uh, in Seneca Niagara. I don't uh, that was the trip to Faso and I went on, I think, and we played it, and. Um, and we're pretty sure that Jody Russell, who was the guy who started our cruises, right? We were right. pretty sure in conversations that he was working there at the time before he moved down here to Florida and uh, did a uh, – we played this really interesting tournament where you got to the final table and you could cash out if you wanted to. Oh, so could, wow. Yeah. At the final table, your chips were converted into um, casino chips rather than tournament chips, Right. Right. And uh, I believe the way it's been a while now, but I believe the way it worked is at the beginning of each level, uh, the shortest stack could pick up their their stack and leave if they wanted to. Wow! And so the strategy is interesting because at that point, you know, now now you you can you can book a win, right? You're walking away with some cash. Uh, it may not be a win, I guess, but uh, you're walking away with cash rather than nothing, right? Um, or if you're so short stacked at that point, uh, why not, uh, let it fly and, uh, and see if you can double up or triple up and, and make more money and it, because it becomes for you now a cash game rather than a tournament. Right. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, that, that was a, uh, an event that, uh, they said that, uh, Mike Ganey came up with. So is uh, that the trip where you had the conversation with the Mounties and yes, <laughs> Fasso yes. got all mad at you and everything? Apparently, I was too jovial crossing the international border in a time of war, as, as Fasso famously said on the show. Yes, that trip. Thank you. Oh yes. man. <laughs> Anyhow, he'll uh, he'll certainly be missed. Uh, yeah. Not just, yeah. You know, but but otherwise. So. Okay, time for any updates. Firekeepers Hotel Casino in Michigan is the latest poker room to join our Restock the Shelves Food Bank initiative with Blue Shark Optics this January. Go to antiapmagazine.com slash restock for more details and urge the managers of your favorite poker venues to join today. Yeah, do it soon because we want to get it in the magazine. Uh, we're previewing it in our current issue, so this is uh, big news. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have three upcoming Antioch cruises next year, including a short Easter sailing to Cozumel, a 15-night transatlantic from Tampa to Amsterdam with stops in Bermuda, the Azores, and Ireland, and a seven-night Western Caribbean sailing from Galveston, Texas. For all the details, visit AntiochCruises.com. And we just introduced 11 new vintage anti-up logo designs on uh, on merchandise. You know, before I say the rest of it, we don't want to confuse anybody. We've been doing this for a few months now, right? At least two months. Three oh, months. It's still just introduced. <laughs> I don't think there's 11 more, you know. 
<laughs> but they're really popular. So uh, go to antiupmagazine.com slash shop. You just go to our website, and there's a button to push for shop. Uh, check out T-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, uh, phone and laptop cases, drink mugs, and more. Uh, with your choice of any at magazine, any at PokerCast, any at Tor logos, and then, of course, all the just the cool vintage. They just look so cool. Some of those shirts are pretty wild. And I just edited that for you, so next time you don't have to. Hey, thanks, buddy. So, yeah, so so that that was our last just introducing announcement. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, but... Until we introduce more. <laughs> and they don't have to tell them. Don't be confused. We actually are just introducing 11 more, so. Yeah, I still haven't worked on that Stone Cold Monkey Nuts here yet, though. That's <laughs> looking for the right design for that. Well, that's when you're going to start your rock band. That's you're going to have the rock band <laughs> website have that. Each week, we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast@antiotmagazine.com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is set up a J Design playing cards, the official playing cards of Antiot Poker Cruises, available at classicplayingcards.com. This comes from Kevin Choate. Uh, did, did, you, did you know about the prep school, Choate? You ever heard of that school? Uh, I have. Very, uh, very exclusive, right? My hometown. I grew up. Uh-huh. I grew up like a mile from there. Hometown. Ricky uh, Schroeder. Right. So you were you were not exclusive. When I was in high school, Ricky Schroeder was there. So we were we were like hobnobbing together. Did like, you guys share some silver spoons? We did at, at McDonald's. That's where we. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So he says. Uh, Kevin says I suffer from some mental illness particularly anxiety, OCD, and depression. I've been a fan of poker for a long time. However, because of my anxiety, I have not had the courage to sit down at a live table. I'm in Texas, so the closest thing we have to live games are the free roll bar tournaments. I set a goal to sit down at a table this year and finally did. However, before the big blinds made it around to me, I started to get an anxiety attack. I folded my hand, got up, and told the tournament manager that I was experiencing uh, what I was experiencing and quickly left. I feel guilty and embarrassed. I hope I did not mess up the game for the other players. How do casinos handle this type of situation? I understand if this type of thing does not come up often because of the inherent social nature of the game. I find poker fascinating and computing pot odds on the fly, uh, or from computing pot odds on the fly, trying to read opponents and disguising your own game to throw them off your scent. Um, I have some things to say about it, but you can go yeah, first. Go All right, well, here's the thing. One, um, I have at least one family member who uh, has anxiety. And I also have a friend who um, went through a very similar thing that you went through, actually, Kevin. Uh, she was a bowler. And she was a very good bowler. And then all of a sudden, she started to have sort of this sort of uh, attacks when it came down to competing. Like if she had to practice and have fun with bowling, she enjoyed it. Uh, she went out and bowled, she bowled really well. But then when she actually got into competitions, it started to become a problem for her where until she froze and she couldn't bowl anymore. And it was, it was all linked to anxiety. Um, so one of the things that she did, and I, I'm not, I'm not sure if this would help for you, but one of the things that she did was, during the league nights, uh, she got out of the league and she decided to help run the league so mm. that she could be in that environment more, yeah. um, be there with the people, be there in the environment, see the competition, and gradually worked her way back until finally, you know, she was there uh, like it was second nature and then started to bowl competitively again and, and worked her way around it. Now, there are other ways of dealing with anxiety. 
um, mental exercises, things like that. Also, you know, there was medication and stuff, but in this case, that's what she did. So I just wanted to share that with you that maybe if you decide to get involved somehow with the bars, you know, with the tournament, so maybe you helped run them, maybe you dealt, who knows, and just got in that environment. Maybe you got a little, maybe got a little bit more relaxing for you. And then maybe playing might be a little more, uh, yeah, maybe, easily, maybe easily just done. hanging out watching. Yeah. Hanging out watching. Yeah. That that might even that's a very good uh, good idea. Uh, you know, I had exchanged a couple of emails with Kevin as well too. Uh, like you, I have a, a friend that um, goes through all this stuff as well too. Uh, he doesn't play poker, so I don't have a apples to apples story or even an apples to oranges story like you had with bowling. But um, but uh, you know, and we're chatting in a bar somewhere. Um, you know, I always just try to remind him to slow down and then not to worry about it. You know, <laughs> we, we we know we know what the issue is and so you know it seems like you know they're trying to get communicate what's in their mind and and their body's not cooperating right so um you know certainly try to help them calm down and and just you know let let the conversation go how it can so but i certainly know how frustrating that is and then it's a little certainly a lot different when you're in a tournament because you can see his concern wasn't himself his concern was the other players and whether he inconvenienced them and to that um to that extent I would say that very little um, impact on the tournament. I mean, your your chips were probably, you know, it's a bar league, so I don't know the hell, how they do things there. But in a casino environment, your chips would just be blinded down. So, you know, really the only thing anybody could argue is there's not an active play, player at the table um, for those chips. But uh, but I, I would imagine only the coldest, hardest <laughs> people would complain about somebody having an anxiety attack leaving uh, the tournament. So I yeah. uh, certainly wouldn't worry. I uh, wouldn't, wouldn't add to the, the, the anxiety by thinking that you inconvenience anybody else. So, but, uh, but I think Chris, uh, Chris had good advice there, you know, try to be around it as much as possible and see if you can get more comfortable. And again, this is one of those things that, um, online poker helps with, right. Yep. You know, yep. now you're, now you're not, not in that situation. I mean, I, I think Kevin wants to be in that situation. It certainly sounds like, you know, he's trying to, it, it's a, it's a personal challenge to him, right. To get out there and, and be with people and, and, and play the game he loves. So I'm not suggesting that if you had online poker, you wouldn't, wouldn't want to do that personal growth that's necessary, but at least you have an outlet to play where the anxiety is, is much less because, you know, players can't see you and you're not interacting with them other than just through the chat box, which you don't have to. Right. So, right. so that's another unfortunate um, byproduct of, of not having uh, legal online poker. Yeah. Regulated five or six States that we have it in now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the other thing too, is I would never tell anyone how to feel. Because you feel how you feel, but if it That's were me, if it were me, I wouldn't feel guilty about having to leave that tournament or embarrassed at all. Definitely not. Definitely nope. not. What's what's the difference between if if all of a sudden you caught a flu and you felt sick at the table and you had to go? You know, this was something that you just you weren't feeling right and you had to you had to go. That's that's how you feel and that you're entitled to that and that's never feel embarrassed by it. That's I I would never feel embarrassed by it. I'm not telling you how to feel, but um, I wouldn't if I were you. Perfect. Hey. Hey, we got a, uh, a Mally's move today that we get to complete, which is always my favorite thing, because I always want to know what he does. So uh, here we go. Here comes part one, and we'll see you on the other side. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week, we are playing in a micro-stakes live home game. The blinds are 5 cent, 10 cent, and we're fairly familiar with all of the players in the game. It's early in the night, 
Everyone bought in for $20, and no one has dipped too far below or risen too far above their starting stacks. The game is 10-handed. The blinds post, the under the gun, plus one and plus two fold. The MP1 makes it 35 cents to go. The MP2 calls, the hijack folds, the cutoff calls, and we're on the button with around $20 and the ace of diamonds, tray of diamonds. The MP1 is going to be the villain of this hand. He's been playing in our home game for around five years now and has not gotten any better. His hands are random, his bets are sporadic, and he rarely folds. He sits with around $20 as well. Even though we could be up against a better ace, I like a call here. We have a lot of potential on a favorable flop and not a lot of flops that we can't easily get away from. The small blind and big blind also call, and we see a flop with 210 in the pot and six players. The flop is a beauty. The queen of clubs, tray of spades, tray of hearts comes down. The blinds check, and the MP1 makes a $1.50 bet into the pot. It's folded to us. I gotta tell you, I'm really not worried about too many turns, and I'm hopeful one of the blinds will call. If we raise here, we might be pushing someone off a queen or some kind of middling pair. We simply call. The small blind calls, but the big blind folds. The pot is 660, and the turn is the nine of diamonds. This doesn't scare me in the least. The small blind checks, and the MP1 this time makes it $5. So, is this where we're coming alive? Do we want to string the small blind along some more? What's the move? Okay, well, we don't have to worry about a flush getting there, and a river card that makes someone straight seems unlikely with the holdings he would have to have for that to make that work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we're really only afraid with a pocket pair catching up to us or someone holding the case tray improving, and all those seem too far out uh, for me to be all that concerned. So I like O'Malley's flop strategy of calling to bring the blinds along, so I'm inclined to call again in hopes that I can get uh, five bucks more out of the small blind before we come alive on the river. Yeah, I think a call's in order. One, we have a position so that we don't have to worry about wasting an opportunity to make more money. I think the next street, if something happens, we'll have have a position to be able to try to extract more money. Um, And I think we have a... Likely, we have a lock on this hand. I, I, it's just hard to imagine that we're trailing anyone in this hand right now, and to have to worry about monsters under the bed of a yeah. bear catching up, you know, is, is so difficult. So, keeping two on the on the on the hook here, uh, I think will pay off uh, with an extra bet on the river. So, yeah, I agree with you. Let's uh, let's call and and see the river. Here comes part two. Hello again. I'm going to call here. I'm hoping the small blind comes along, and then we can come alive on the river. The small blind does not fall in line, however, and folds. There's 1660 in the pot, and the river is the six of spades. The MP1 thinks for what seems like an eternity, and then checks. I think this is an obvious value bet here. We make it $5 to go, and our opponent instantly calls. We turn over our trips, and our opponent shows king-queen. Sweet. Ship it. So, did we leave money on the table here? Should we have raised the MP at some point? Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying it's important to scrutinize every pot you play, even the ones you win. I hope to see you on the felt. All right, again, being results-oriented, I'd say we would have gotten a little more money out of our opponent by raising on the turn or even the flop and the turn, uh, now that we know that the the blind wasn't interested in this hand. Um, But again, I think we had a solid reasoning on why we didn't do that, and so I think we still made the best overall poker moves, um, even in this specific situation that they may not have been. Yeah, you know, and and I'm not saying you're right or wrong, and I don't know who's right or wrong here, but I don't know if we do get more money because I feel like if we raised at any point, we likely would lose at least one of the players, 
And then on the river, they probably, because we, if we did it earlier, they probably checked to us, and then we bet, and maybe they even fold. So I feel like we did extract probably what we would have gotten out of this, unless somebody wanted to get crazy with us, and you can't tell they're going to do that. So I think maybe we did get the most out of this hand. I don't know. Well, yeah, I think this is a good example of a hand that it's good to discuss and think about. I mean, um, what, what you could have done, whether it might have worked out better. But at the same time, we, we don't know what would have happened had we done any of this stuff, right? So uh, it's not a hand that's worth dwelling on for that reason. Right, so, right. So, again, obviously, it seems like the small blind uh, was not interested. Um, now, that doesn't mean that they weren't interested in the flop when we could have raised there, uh, but certainly wasn't interested. Um on the turn, and um, and if this other guy called down with a king queen, um, it's reasonably possible that you know if he would have raised, he would have called. Um, obviously, he probably would have checked, and then we would have had to set the price um, after that. And maybe it wasn't going to be as much as we got. So yeah, there's lots of reasons to expect that uh, we we didn't lose much value here. But I think we have the name of our opening act for our rock band: reasonably possible. Reasonably possible. <laughs> yeah, it kind of sounds like one of like a Decemberist kind of band, you know, <laughs> that kind of music. <laughs> oh, you're killing me. All right, it's time for the advancedpokerrain.com. Hand of the Week's in your hands for situations podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you want something from us in the past year, you get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Uh, our good friend Vic G back. Uh, and this is a fresh hand, too. You know, Normally we save them up just in case we run out. Yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, but this one's fresh. Came in this week. So in fact, I haven't even read this hand. I haven't responded, which I almost uh, I don't think I've ever done before. Oh man, I've always responded and read it, and and then I usually forget about it by the time we get it on the show. But so this this, one, this could be really fresh and, and awesome, or it could be disastrous. This is why you don't do live television, folks. So <laughs> all right, he says I'm playing a one-two no limit hold'em at his uh, at my local Florida poker room. It's a holiday promotion, so the room is packed with lots of recreational players looking to cash in on the $100 high-hand bonuses every 15 minutes. Um, I have the table covered. Am I, am I in the big blind? Uh, the undergun player folds, but in doing so, one of his card wobbles on its way to the muck, and I get a glimpse of what I think is a black seven. He was first to act and folded before the dealer even completed the deal. The other gun plus one player also folded, and the action's moving on the table. I don't say anything, one, because I'm only 95% sure, and two, because the cards are mucked and can't be verified at this point. Uh, so here's a question. He says, does it make sense to say something now? So I guess before we even get on the hand, wow. We, it's, a, it's a hand and a situation at the same time. <laughs> um, I think in this case it probably doesn't. You're, you know for a fact that it's in the muck and they're not going to find it. And the guy's going to have to go through to find if there's a seven in there so that, you know, you have, you know, you're going to slow the hand down and then maybe or maybe not to seven. And then, I don't know, it just seems odd. And it doesn't seem like it's a, I don't know, it's folded. You're not certain. You know, I mean, there are tons of times when the dealer's dealing, you think you see something just because the way he's dealing. You can't just say, oh, I think he's got a seven, I think he's got a queen, he's got, you know. So I, I agree with you. I think you probably just keep quiet on this. Yeah, I think the the time to say something was when you first saw it, when they could identify it. And, and that's not a criticism because this stuff happens really quickly. And in your mind, I, I've been in this situation before, right? Your mind is trying to process whether you saw something, whether you're correct or not, right? Yeah. And then by the time you, you reconcile that in your brain, then there's action happening, and then it uh, becomes difficult to say something. So, But that would have been the time to, time to say it. But, uh, I mean, this is the difficult thing, right? If you know for sure, if it's clear that it's a queen of hearts or something, then you probably say something right away, right? Right. Because 
Um, but if you don't know, then the, the situation you cause by saying something actually is, hey, I saw I, I saw that card flash. I think it's this. And you say it out loud. So now you've spoiled that card, right? And then if it requires the floor to come over and look for it, and then they say, no, that wasn't the card. <laughs> right. Now, now, now you've proven that, that that wasn't it. So it causes a little bit more trouble as well, too. So. Um, I definitely, I, I'm all in favor of being honest and upfront at the table. Uh, if, you, if you think you've had some sort of advantage, but, uh, but I certainly understand why that didn't happen this time. And, uh, now we're kind of past the, um, what, what's the saying? Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know what the saying is, but as long as you're positive of something, then say something. If you're not, don't. <laughs> That's how I got away from that. So. Yeah, or if you immediately if you just say, "Hey, I, I saw the card flash, but I don't know what it is." At, at least at that point now you've expressed to the table that you saw something, but you don't know what it is, and then the uh, the floor can do what he or she thinks is best in that case. But but again, we're past that now. So yeah. All right. So he says, uh, "Back to the hand." Uh, there are limps from players in the middle position, cut off button, and small blind. Action is on us in the big blind with the Ace of Hearts, Seven of Clubs. So that's possibly one of the reasons that the maybe seeing the Seven will affect our play. Yeah. Well, again, when you're in the big blind and you're able to see a flop with a speculative hand like a Ace Seven offsuit, I'm always happy to just tap the table. I, I don't see any reason getting out of line here. One, if one of your outs is gone and you're going to rely on outs to win this hand, then that's a, a point against. Two, you're going to be out of position for the whole hand if people behind you will call, which they have to because you're the big blind. So you're going to be out of position no matter who comes along. You know, and three, A7 is not a great hand. So, I mean, here's the deal, and it, I, I always bring stuff like this up on the hand of the week. If, if you're going to play the people, this is the type of hand you play. But as hand of the week analysis, you can't analyze a hand if you're going to play the people. Right. I, I can't play the people for you in a hand of the week. I don't know these players, nor probably does Vic know all of them. But, you know, if we're in the big game with Doyle and Jennifer and all those people, then it's like, okay, I've been playing with people for 40 years. I'm going to play the person. I'm going to play the people because he was on the big blind or who's in the, the, on the button or whatever then it's a totally different situation. But from an analysis standpoint, from a, hey, what's good poker? A7's not good poker. But in the big blind, with a free chance to see a flop, it is. Raising with A7, well, if you know the people and you know how to play against them and you know that raising and then betting the flop is going to take it down with half people are going to call behind you, then maybe it's a good play. But I can't possibly know the people at this table nor their tendencies. So... To me, A7 is let's tap the table. Yeah, and I'll add to that just by saying even when I appreciate when our listeners try to give us as much information about the players at the table as they can so that we can factor that into the conversation. But again, we're only getting some of the information, right? right. Um, you know, maybe the information is wrong. Maybe the information is incomplete. Uh, certainly incomplete, right? So um, I think, again, as you said, that's the why we, we try to analyze it based on just the, the cards and not the players. So um, so the one thing, obviously, I'm checking here as well, too. I agree with that. But uh, but now this is the interesting thing, and this has happened. This happens to me 
I wouldn't say it happens to me a lot, but it's happened to me before where, where the, the card is exposed for whatever reason and the whole table sees it, right? Right. And it does happen to be like an ace and that card kind of hand, right? Right. So, you know, if it wasn't the big blind at that point, now it's even more likely I want to get out of this hand, right? Big blind, we have to. But now it, it, it makes it difficult to really go too excited with this hand because I know my kicker, one of the, my kickers is out, right? Right. Um, so when I'm playing a weak ace, that's what you're hoping for is the, is for that kicker to pair the board somehow and, 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 and beat an ace king or ace queen or something like that. So that makes it a little bit less. So, um, uh, I, obviously I know, uh, this is going to be an interesting hand because it's big, but, uh, but I am, I, I am a little bit more concerned than I normally would be about checking here and going forward. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Vic says, well, with one of our outs, quite possibly dead. We just checked. We're looking for a miracle flop now, but mentally, I think it's safe to say that we are done with this hand. All right. Yep. Exactly what I mean. $10 in the pot. We see a flop of 10 of diamonds, seven of hearts, four of spades, and a small blind checks to us. Uh, interesting. Um, this is kind of what I'm talking about now, right? So, you know, it's usually not great poker to continue on with second or third pair even with an ace, but with an ace, it helps a little bit, right? So if, you, if an ace comes now, you can you can probably stack somebody playing a, a bigger ace. But we know one of the sevens is gone now, so. Or we think it is. We think it is, that's correct. Yeah. Um, you know, the problem here is that a lot of people who limp will play with a 10. They just will. They'll play 9-10, they'll play jack-10, because everyone read Super System and knows that jack-10 makes five nut hands. So, you know, nut straights. So, People love Jack Ten. People love Nine Ten. People love any Ten. Scott used to love Queen Ten. <laughs> so Ten is a reasonable, reasonably possible <laughs> to be in someone's. Reasonably possible. <laughs> it's reasonably possible to be in someone's hand. We'll so, be at the merch Ten after the show, <laughs> and we have we have uh, no position. So, I mean, seriously, all we have is the the small blind blind. Did they did they come along? I can't even remember. Uh, uh, small blind is in. Yeah, yeah so we have position on one person, and they checked. So, you know, we have people behind us here that very likely could have a 10, and if unless you're, you know, savvy enough to know how every person is going to play and you know what would make them fold, I'm probably not even betting here. I'm probably just saying, hey, I'm in the blinds, happy to make a pair of sevens. If it checks around and then another rag comes off or something, maybe I'll bet then. But we're in no danger of flush, probably no danger of straight, you know, happening on the turn. Uh, I mean, unless somebody has eight, nine, you know, or five, six, but I mean, it, it, whatever. But if a rag comes, then I might feel a little more comfortable. But right now I bet somebody raises, I've wasted money. Yeah. So I just don't see the reason to waste the money. You're already in the blind. You're already put your money in. I don't know. Just, I'm not, it's not that I'm being so safe, but I'm not going to get out of hand at a one, two game for no reason. When I got, you know, I got my blinds paid after the next hand and I could have a bunch of free hands coming up. So let's just be happy to pair seven to see how the table reacts to it. Yeah, I think my plan here is to try to get to the river as cheaply as possible and hope that I have some showdown value here. I'm certainly not going to drive the action. Um, you know, I may I may call a reasonable bet here and, and hope I can hit my ace or what apparently now it would be the case seven. Um, but I but I don't want to drive the action here. Um, um, I would love for this to get checked around and then get a card that really helps me. That would that would be my dream right now. Yeah. So. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So our hero says, uh, we have three players behind us who have all limped and we figure one of our sevens is dead. 
it still looks like we're done with his hand, but I'm not one of those players that um, who mucks their hand when we're not facing any action, so we check. Surprisingly, the middle position cutoff and button also check, so no one looks interested in this $10 pot. All right. See, now that's what we're talking about right there. Yeah. Now we got now we got the information that we need. See, we turned the um, being out of position into an advantage there, right? Yeah. So, um, all right. Uh, the pot's still $10. The dealer turns the seven of diamonds, making the board ten of diamonds, seven of hearts, four of spades, seven of diamonds, and the small blind checks. Wow. Well, now it looks like we're stealing it, so now we overbet the pot. <laughs> yeah. Now we bet, like, eh, throw 10 out there and see what they yeah, say. Yeah, put the 10 out there, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, but, you know, it's funny. Now you have to question whether or not he actually saw a 7 or did the actual K7 come on the turn, you know? Well, what's interesting about this is, again, we were not sure we saw the 7, right? right. But if, if but we were reasonably sure we did, right? So so that means no one else has a 7 now. Yep. Which means they're not going to be outkicked. Well, we have the Ace anyway, so no yep. one's going to boat up with a 7 in their hand. Um, yeah, so it's probably a small consideration because of the, we have the ace, but it's a consideration, so that helps a little bit. Um, you know, even though everybody checked around, that means one of two things, right? It means no one's interested in the hand or someone's got a really big hand and hoping that somebody gets more interested in the hand, right? So, you know, it still could be up against a set of tens or probably more likely four so pocket tens would have probably raised pre-flop. So. But, uh, but that's really the only thing we're worried about at this point now. So, I mean, I, so I guess you can make a case of, uh, of checking, but, uh, you know, it's checked around on the flop, so now somebody could have picked up a flush draw. Um, so, you know, if you, if you bet here, you could just close down the action because either they think they're, as you mentioned, there's two things. Either they think you're stealing and they're going to call, which is great. Right. Um, or they're like, I don't have a seven. This guy's in the blind. He must have a seven. I'm getting out, and which uh, very well could happen. But I would argue at that point, hey, we got ten bucks out of a hand that we shouldn't have got a dollar out of at that point. So if that happens, that's great. And if someone calls, even better. But but uh, but I I'm definitely gonna put the bet in. I think I like the the ten dollars. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, now if I had knew if I had known that the that three players behind me, the first one of those three, or the last one of those, whoever has the last position. If I had known that that person was Scott Long, I might check, <laughs> hoping it checks to him, and I know he'll put out a bet that he can't win. <laughs> no, I'm going to bet, yeah. <laughs> so, but other than that, yeah, I think I like betting the pot here and seeing I think we're going to steal it. And then somebody might say, oh, yeah, well, I really have the 10, you know, or something. So, well, let's see what happens. All right. Our hero says this hand just got our attention as we figure that this is the case seven. Uh, even if our eyes deceived us, we beat any other seven, barring someone limping with 7-10 or 7-4. Still, we're 95% confident that we have the only possible trips, uh, but it does put backdoor diamonds into the play. With everyone limping in pre-flop and checking around the flop, I don't think there's any interest in this hand. I probably I can probably toss in two red ships and take down the tiny pot, $10 pot right now. Yep, see, you already knew what we were going to do, right? Yeah. But checking gives uh, someone the opportunity to bluff at the pop or, or pot or semi-bluff with two diamonds. We opt to check and see what develops. The middle position player immediately obliges us with a $10 bet. Uh, cut off in the button full, but the small blind makes the call, and action's back on us. Now I raise because um, I, I realize just calling, but if somebody's betting the flush draw and then it gets there because you let them get there for their price, I'd feel sick about it. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's very possible that somebody limped with suited diamonds, only got three on the flop, and so I said, all right, well, you know, I'll check with everybody else, try to get that free draw on the turn, and then got there. Now he's betting it, hoping to take it down. And if not, he's got a semi-bluff for the river. 
Um, so now I raise because I don't want to have two people having a chance to draw me. You know what I mean? So I'll draw me. You know, so I, I, I like I like a bet now. I like to make it like forty or so. Yeah, here's the problem with calling. If you call, hoping that you can raise on the river, uh, that just doesn't happen as often as you want to think it does, right? I mean, maybe this guy is taking a stab at it, and then he's going to check behind, so then you you don't get that bet in. Or if you just check now and then you decide to bet out on the river, isn't that the same thing as raising now? Um, except it's not because people still have a chance to catch up here. Right. Uh, still a card to come so that's all the that's exactly the reason you want to raise here rather than call and bet out on the river because you want to get those people that are still dreaming for something to put some money in um now so yeah definitely raise in um i don't know 30 bucks yeah i was saying 40 but maybe 30 is fine too yeah um all right uh, let's see uh, where are we at. All right. Uh, uh, Vic says, we should be ahead of both players. Even with the backdoor diamonds, we're still looking to walk the dog. We min-raise and make it $20 to go. Our original better in the middle position comes along, but the small blind decides the back raise $20, making it $40 to go. He says, you don't see that too often at the 1-2 level. That's certainly an interesting development. The middle position player has 170 behind. The small blind has about 270 and it's back to us now. Jeez. Oh, man. Well, I don't know. I, every time I want to do what I want to do, Vic does the other way. You know, he's like, when I want to zag, he zags. But I, I feel like now I just call. Since I have since I have, it's a small blind that did that, so I have position on him. Yeah. So I think I just call. hope the other guy calls for another 20. And then I still think we're ahead of at least one of them. So, I mean, maybe you want to get one of them out. I don't know. But in this case, it didn't work. You know, we bet because we only bet a little bit, and then the guy called. So you wanted to walk the dog. You got congratulations. Now the dog is walking you with a surprise raise. So maybe we just call and then see what that person does on the river. If we, Maybe we boat up or something, and then we can keep the other yeah, guy on the on the hook too. We still have a couple outs, even though the seven is dead. So, you know, yeah. ace, um, which is nice. Um, the other thing is that the raise isn't that much. Um, it, it's hard for me to imagine a small blind having something that we can beat here. I mean, the other player could be on a bunch of stuff. So, um, I, I guess in part, I, I'm hoping for that miracle river by calling here, but, um, but I don't know. I mean, small blind, it, it's such a weird play at that point. I mean, it really makes it seem like he's got something there. Um, yeah, but, what? but again, it's one, two. So, you know, it could be, Pocket it could be an ace 10, right? Thinking that they're, that you know, maybe we thought that uh, we were stealing, and yeah, another guy was raising. So, but why uh, would he have checked twice to us? Yeah, I, I, with ace ten, one two. So I don't and know. with four four, you know, so four four he checks set on the flop, and then okay, so he does that, and then when somebody bets out, you know, I guess now he he comes alive, but it's like because he boated up, he might want to just call for a street. You know, I don't know, it just. Maybe he saw the aggression and thought, okay, maybe this guy really has a 10. I can get some more money out of him with my force full. But I don't know. Pocket 10s are out of the equation. Ace 10 seems like, yeah, he could have raised with it, but he probably wouldn't have. Um, but it would have bet at some point before we did and didn't. So I don't know. The only hand it could possibly be in my mind is a 4 or another 7. Yeah, you know, pocket, we didn't really see a 7. That's the thing. I would not be surprised if pocket 4s have turned over at the end. But. I, I, now I have a feeling it's a 7. I have a feeling we didn't see a 7. And now this, guy's, now this guy's got a seven, and that really does need to be part of our um, 
our thought process now is going back and did we really see that seven, yeah. which we, we don't know whether we did or not, but in our mind we were thinking we did. Because um, certainly a seven would make sense here with, with the play that's going on, and it only works if the card we thought we saw wasn't a seven. Yeah, because let's real quickly do the small blinds calculation. Okay, so I've got seven eight suited. I only have to put in a dollar. Got a bunch of limpers, so it's a perfect reason to put a dollar in. You call for seven eight suited or whatever six seven suit doesn't matter. Then we check. Guy flops a seven, but he's like, "That can't be good." Plus, I have a terrible kicker, so I'm just going to check. Everyone checks. Now he turns three of a kind. Well, now he's saying, "Well, if I bet now, they might all fold." I'm going to take a value of my three seven, so I'll check. Here comes Vic betting. Here comes another guy calling. Now he's like, all right, good. I got someone who thinks they have something that's worthy of calling. Now I'll do a little min raise on top of it, you know, or whatever, however it went down, you know. Right. So it's like, okay, so we check the guy bets, then we call, hoping to get more money out of it. Then our our guy Vic min raises. The other guy calls. Now we're like, all right, now we got somebody who's jerking around with us here. They got something. Let's min raise again, you know. So very likely a seven's in this guy's hand, and we're ahead. So maybe we didn't see a seven. So I, I like calling, but I want to see the river. Uh, all right. So Vic says, did one of these guys uh, slow play the Casenza? Are they both looking for backdoor diamonds? Is this all posturing with no one believing me? Are we just getting too old to trust our eyes any longer? Uh, nope, our eyes are still sharp. We're not getting older. The under the gun mucked the seven of spades. I'd bet on it. But if the seven of spades is dead, what do these guys have? Here's where I think I made a mistake and opt to just call the extra $20. The middle position player folds pretty quickly and we're heads up. With the pot swelling to 110, uh, dealer peels off the prettiest card in the deck, as Norman Chad would say, completing a board of 10 of diamonds, 7 of hearts, 4 of spades, 7 of diamonds, ace of di- uh, spades. Uh, the good news is that we filled up, but the bad news is that the uh, flush missed and we still believe that no one can have smaller sevens full. So it should kill the action. Without much hesitation, the small blind slides out a stack of red ships in the pot, and it's $100 to us. Wow. Well, min raise has worked for you before, so <laughs> so min raise again. <laughs> whatever he has left, I would raise. I mean, that's, that's, I mean whatever. If he yeah. somehow has got us beat, which I don't Think, know how. Uh, it would be one, 170 behind if the math on the last hand was correct. So, so now we're hoping he has fours full. Yeah. 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 So there's no way he's got tens full. And we eliminated tens, so you know, unless uh, uh, he somehow has pocket aces and played it really horribly. Yeah, this or, is wild. Or so, brilliantly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, he says the small blind could be doing this with a missed flush draw, a missed straight draw that sends or possibly any ten. Uh, they were in the small blind, so that could uh, have one of these random hands and maybe just are calling their three bet on the turn induced them to bet out. We're still 95% certain they can't have a uh, 7-10 or 7-4. I take my time and consider the possibility that they have 10-10 or 4-4. Both would have played the hand like that. I rule out ace-ace as they would have likely raised preflop. I can only beat one of these pocket pairs, so maybe I'm 50-50. I lean more towards them having a lot of other holdings. Um, again, though, 10s. Yeah, how does pocket 10s just call Having really trouble line. believing 10s. So. Yeah, I don't believe 10s. All right, he says, uh, with that pretty ripper card staring back at me, we decided to raise and put him almost all in. He says, so, Scott, did I put him virtually all in with the virtual nuts? <laughs> I love it. Um, I sometimes like to leave my opponent a dollar or two behind so that if they show, I can call and see their hand first. Uh, then either table the winner or muck a loser. I make it 255 and he announces all in for $14 more. 
We're not falling for $14 more, are we? I make the call, and I'm shown the Ten of Hearts, Ten of Clubs. Holy cow. Yeah. Wow. You know, to double up off me and rake in, uh, rack in the $641 pot, which hurts all the more because it's a seven <laughs> that we didn't want to play in the first. Oh, wow. hey, I'll give the guy credit. Uh, he played 1010 so badly that we we eliminated it from consideration. Well, okay, so I'm not gonna spend too much time on defending the guy, but as Dan Negrano would say, it's just tens. And so he thought, well, maybe I'll trap people with these 10s if it comes all unders. So he just checks, or he just limps along. Well, no, I don't mind the limp. There's a lot of people in that hand. I definitely would limp in small blind with that 10. And so then he's got a perfect flop for him. He's got top set, so he's crushed the board. He can't get any better, and there's no flushes coming on the turn. So he's got all these guys behind him, and Vic is probably known as being aggressive. So maybe he's thinking someone like Vic or someone else is going to bet. I get something out of it. If I bet right now, they'll all fold if they have nothing. So I'm going to let them catch up. So he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He checked, and then he boated up. So then he checks yeah. again because he's and got he it still crushed. Yeah, right. I think he played it great, other than yeah. the fact that he limped preflop, which is weird. Well, again, I defend him on that, so I do have to take back my criticism of him. I think you're right, because I would have I would have limped with those 10s. And then with this board, I mean, I'm not going to bet that out. It's a, it's a rainbow flop. I'm not worried about anything catching up to me. And then he just got unlucky that no one bet. And then, then the turn, he boated up. So now, at that point, now that, you know, he's pretty much crushed the hand. So now he has to just hope somebody else is going to bet, and then they did. Yep. So, I mean, maybe maybe there's a case to be made that I think where he made a mistake is not thinking that one of us had a seven. Because yeah. if you think back what we were looking at, we, we knew we had sevens. We thought it was unlikely anybody else had one because of the flash card. So we figured one player was overplaying the hand and one player had something. Um, now, we don't know what the guy that folded had, so that analysis is probably correct, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, he probably had – he probably he was probably the light one, and then obviously our opponent had the set. So at that point, I think when, when the small blind's looking at the, at the board and everything, I think he has to put somebody on a seven. If that's the case, then you probably could get away with raising more than the $20 he raised. Yeah. At the end of the day, he got all of our money anyhow. So, and we were the ones with the seven. So it doesn't really change anything, I guess. Um, but we only he only got our money out of that because of that ace. Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe I mean, we might. We still might have called. We might have just called we, instead of the ace. Made it way easier for us to call. Yeah. Um, or actually, it made it for us to raise. Really, right? Right. If, if the ace maybe, doesn't come, he might just. We might just call the the first bet. Instead, right. of, instead of basically putting the guy all in, and we save a hundred and something there in the end. So, but we're um, not going away on that turn if we raise. I don't think. No, Either. I don't think so. Not with three sevens, and we know the K seven's gone. I don't think we go. Well, you and I eliminated tens as well too. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, he probably that that was the one mistake he made in the hand. But I think so. Wow. What a what a <laughs> what a what a bad. I want to say it's not a bad beat, but what a what a bad result. Uh, yeah. Yep. Or a hand that we thought we got lucky on. But that's the way it is. Every time you think you get lucky with these trash hands, that's the one where you're telling your buddies about at the bar later on. Yeah. Yep. So just when up. you just when you think you've seen everything in poker, you know, Vic loses a hand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Luck. We'll see you at the table. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. 
Contact the show at podcast at antietmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antietmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.